there on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff. And I'll puff. And I'll blow your house in. The weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Wayne Wise. How's it going, Wayne? Good. How are you, Mav? Happy Halloween! Yeah, happy Halloween! It's totally Halloween right now when we're recording, and that's not in the future. I'm in a costume. Boo. Absolutely. (laughs) Give me candy. I don't know if I have candy. I should have had candy. I've got beer. Is beer like candy? Uh, well last year we did some we did some halloween shows that were you know sort of theme shows and we thought we'd do some this year and you picked today's topic which is not something i know a lot about so i'll let you say the topic uh we're just going to talk about stephen king more than anything else i guess um because you know horror halloween um he's written a lot of scary stuff over the years yeah, and, and and he's written stuff that's not scary, and I like it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the topic is you know like not not to belabor it. Just, we're going to talk about Stephen King some, and I, I think in a broader picture, like books, movies, impact on on pop culture, uh, his place in the history of horror. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get to all those things at some point. Okay. Well, last year for our Halloween show, we had one of my colleagues at Duquesne. We had. John Hadlock here. So John's back. Hey, John. Hey, Mav. How's it going? <laughs> and John is also a horror fan. As you might remember from that show, you are. Well, how, how deep into your yearly Halloween movie marathon are you at this point? Sadly behind. Very sadly behind. Normally, I, I like to have watched like a few dozen by now, but I haven't seen many. I, I got to catch up. For well, sure. no, but it's, but it's October. But it's, and also, since it's Halloween, I have very little time. Right. But it's Halloween it's now. So you've Halloween right now, today, yeah. at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 <laughs> but you've probably, you've probably caught up. <laughs> and we also invited another Stephen King fan, a longtime friend of the show, Nicole's back. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Matt. Hey, Wayne. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> so, do you also like scary books and movies? Not a whole lot. <laughs> i i've been reading stephen king since i was probably i don't know 10 um but i'm not a big fan of horror movies as as a genre i i blame my sister for exposing me to friday the 13th when i was very young and basically scarring me for life yeah that'll do it i don't love horror movies and i don't love stephen king i've read some I'm a big fan of a lot of Stephen King's 
non-horror work. His his book on writing is okay. I've read some. I, I have that. And I, I'm a huge fan of The Shawshank Redemption. I like several of his movies. I think I've said on the show before, I, I read the book It. I liked it. Um, I like the movies. I think they are better without all the supernatural stuff. If maybe it's just a bunch of kids who are like walking around train tracks looking for a dead body, that would be a great version of it. <laughs> and, and luckily he wrote one of those two and I like it. And that, and the movie version of that is one of my favorite movies. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of the horror because I don't really like to be scared. It's not even so much that I get scared. It's more that I don't enjoy that as like a thing, like, like the, like the whole idea of tension be from uneasiness or horror or, or fright is not appealing to me. I do like when he is a good writer. So again, yeah, the body or the, for the film version stand by me. Um, he had a book that turned into a mini series that turned into a TV series that went on for like three years and nobody watched it, but me caught under the dome, like literally horrible, horrible ratings. Cause I was the only person watching it, but I loved it. So there are some things of his that I like, but for the most part, not that big a fan. I I'm definitely bigger fan of the books than I am the movies. And that, I mean, it's true. Just horror in general, but you know, not, not like there's all the slasher genre and that sort of thing. I just, you know, I've seen some of that stuff, but it's not my thing. Uh, I, I prefer the, I am more psychological or however you want to term that. Uh, I mean, I guess just in general, as Mav knows, I'm, I'm a bigger book guy than I'm a movie guy under whatever circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the, to me, the Saw franchise, the first Saw movie I thought had, it was, it was more on the psychological side of trying to figure out what's going on and who's doing what. There was some graphicness, but it wasn't, that wasn't really the focus. Mm. And I, I liked that one. I liked the psychological thriller part. And then I saw the second one and it had sort of turned into gross ways to kill people. And Mm -hmm. so I said, that's it. I don't need to watch anymore. (laughs) But the Stephen King books, I mean, even his stuff that is supposedly horror. I mean, I think there is a lot of psychological meat Mm -hmm. that goes on in there. The characters are what's what I think are interesting. Definitely in the books. And, and what, right. that's very much where I am as well. Mm-hmm. Carrie has that. Oh, yeah, I like Carrie. I like Carrie. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I, and I guess very much. I it's. I I don't think he's the greatest genius of our time. You know, anything I've read him. I've read him pretty consistently for a lot of years. I took a long break, then I came back and got caught up. I, I find him entertaining. You know, I I get what I mm-hmm. want out of his books. I think I do think he's really good at character. I think he's very good at capturing this world and then setting these things in this world. So this world feels so real that it makes his horror feel more real. Like this is actually part of the world I live in. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean the killer clown that lives in the sewer outside of your house? <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's the one. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, well, I mean, and that's it. It's not. It's not the killer clown that lives in the sewer. It's the town of Derry is a place that we could live. He makes the world mm-hmm. around that killer clown clown really believable to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, this might sound like a strange opinion, but I think what Stephen King does best often is not is not to be scary. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that nothing he's ever written has, has nothing has ever been without, you know, that, that important horror element, but 
Um, I reread Salem's Lot recently, which is his second oh, novel, yeah, Empires and all that, all that good stuff. And he said he wanted to write Melrose Place with vampires. But if you <laughs> look at that novel, it's about 80% Melrose Place and maybe yeah, 10% vampires. It is like overwhelmingly a, 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 a dramatic novel and there are vampires in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm fine with that sort of thing. And I really like it. I think Salem's Lot is it's sometimes over the top in a way that Stephen King likes to be over the top. But it's it's pretty good, I would say. I That's that's one of the earliest. The first book of his I read was The Stand. And this would have been 80, 81. I, I don't know what year that came out, but fairly early. And then I went back and read Carrie and and whatever the other ones were, Salem's Lot and whatever else was out at that point. I, I can pinpoint Salem's Lot as being one of the first books I ever read that just genuinely kind of weirded me out and creeped me out late at night when I was in bed the reading. The parts are good. Uh, I yeah. would, they're just, I think, pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Within the, within the novel. Spent, it takes true. about 300 pages to see the vampire, if I remember correctly. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, not a concise guy either. <laughs> and that's kind of true of a lot of his stuff. It, it is so much more about, and I think good horror does this. It's mm-hmm. it's not the monster. It's what the monster makes us believe in ourselves. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the conversations we've had with, with Mike Chummers on this show about mm-hmm. monster theory and whatever, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's our internal darkness that, that frightens us and whatever the monster is or the threat is, it's symbolic of that inner darkness. Mm-hmm. Which, um, he can, which he can do without monsters. Again, that's that's why I like Stand yeah, By Me so much. I like, mm, uh, yeah. um, I, I'll say, for instance, I mean, it, aside from the fact, like John just said, he is not concise, which neither am I, so. But um, but his yeah. books are long. I don't think that's necessarily a yeah, bad thing. Yeah. I want to, maybe we can talk more about it. Yeah. My, my, my favorites are probably the long ones. So. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I think you can use to, like, you can stand on it if you need to reach something on a higher shelf. It is a very <laughs> thick book. But, but um, I, I mean, I read that, so I, I read that probably that came out in 86, so probably in 86 or 87. I think I might have said on the show before, um, my mother and my younger brother are both huge fans of, of Stephen King. So much so that, let's see, if it was 1986, I, my brother would have been... Oh, he's uh, born it. It have been maybe ten, nine or ten when the book came out, and he read it when it came out because my mom doesn't care about things like that. <laughs> and we turned out okay. She's like, "Yeah, sure, he's reading. Great, read this horrific book." And 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 he and he loved it, and she loves it. And that was one of the ones where where I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm here for this." And I, you know, before we went on the air, we were talking about some of the changes that they made for both the movie and and the miniseries that came out in the 90s. In both versions, they leave out the giant space turtle because mm-hmm. who the fuck wants to deal with a giant space turtle? <laughs> and I, I appreciate that. Like, I can de- I can deal with the clown. It's not the turtle scary. It's just that it was stupid. And he acknowledges he was real coked up when he wrote that. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> you know, like, so, so I get that. But like, what makes that, what makes that book work for me is much like with the body with stand by me. And if you go back to like, um, 
we did a show once on on coming of age stories, and I am a big fan of those. And it, at essence, is just a brilliant look at the problematic world that you live in as a as a young teenager. Uh, like being 12 and being 13 and the and the fears of adolescence that's what that book's about i am the world scary yeah yeah the the world's scary and next to the rest of their life you know the clown ain't so bad and um i mean he is but but i'm like i'm the only person i know and i'm curious what you guys think um the both the original miniseries and the more recent you know 2017 film they removed the controversial bit where the kids have an orgy in the sewers I like that yeah. part. I think that part belongs in the book. I think I think that it's a mistake. I think that um, I understand why it's dark. I understand why people hate it. I understand why it makes everybody uncomfortable. It's supposed to. And every time I hear somebody complain about it, it's like, well, they're kids. You shouldn't be doing this. They should be allowed to be to be children. I'm like, allowed to be children. There's a fucking clown eating people. You know, like, <laughs> like, like, like the fact that they had yeah. sex should be the least of your worries. But um, but I felt as though that, you know, that moment is the it's written such as to say, look, here is us stopping. It's not about being sexy. It's about this is our transition from being children to a world of adults that we can never turn back from. And that moment is marked by the sex scene in the sewer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I it didn't weird me out when I first read it a long time ago, um, right. and I, I fully understand why it was taken out of the movies, um, just from a, a cultural sense and whatever. Um, but no, I agree with you. I think it's an essential scene in the book. Mm-hmm. I went back and read it in 2017 when people, when, when the movie came out and people were talking about it and people were going, yeah. Oh, you know, this book, you know, has this horrible scene in it and it's disgusting. And so, and I, and I went and I was like, I don't remember it bothering me that much when I was you know, 14 or whatever I was, or um, right. I think it was 12 when it came out. I was like their age, so I was 12 or 13 when I read it. So I went back and reread it and I was like, no, no, this is actually really, really good compared to the confusing space turtle bullshit. You know, it's tastefully written. Well, for, for, for an orgy in the sewer, it's yeah. I, I didn't even remember that it was there. I read some of those articles where people were, you know, mentioning how this had been taken out of the movie and it was this controversial scene. And I thought, what? And I had to, I had to go back and reread the books. I'm like, oh yeah, right. And I, and I understand what you're saying to Mav about, you know, versus killer clowns eating people or even just the bully who wants to carve his name in yeah. Ben's yeah. stomach. I mean, that, that, that that's a type of rape. You know? That is more horrifying yeah. to me yeah. than, than basically a consensual gangbang. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And, well, that's what it was. And I, and I, I get why people have a problem with it. I do get it. And oh, I, yeah. you know, and if you want, if you want to teach your 12 year old, not to have sex in the sewer. Congratulations. There's a word for that. It's called being a good parent. Good for you. Yep. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. but the, but that's not, this book isn't about good parenting. It's about, it's a book no. that's about, you know, the problems, the horrors of adolescence. And no, I think people, bad parenting. Yeah. And, and I think people want to believe that, you know, people want to believe that 12 year olds are above those urges. And, you know, clearly you were never a 12 year old boy. Cause I certainly had those urges when I was a 12 year old yeah. boy. And <laughs> I'm fairly certain 12 year old girls do too. So like that, that's now 
are are there you know do we have social rules that where you know you're supposed to prevent that absolutely but but that was one of the things that i think that I, I think that that scene shows like sort of yeah this is where they stop being 12 and there's not a similar scene but the same themes in the body i think or stand by me i think those same things still kind of happen throughout mm-hmm. the, you know, throughout the, throughout the book where it is a, it, it is a book about the loss of innocence. You know, you're talking about six kids looking for a dead body in the woods. That's not, that's dark without monsters. It's dark. That whole theme you see over and over in Stephen King. I mean, you know, Carrie and Christine yeah. and, and the, the young character in Salem's lot, you know, Mark and, and um, even something like Shawshank is about him losing his innocence that he assumed I'm, I'm not guilty. Mm-hmm. So this, it won't happen to me or, or something like the long walk, which is one of my favorites mm-hmm. of Stephen mm-hmm. King, which is all about, you know, these teenage boys and this thing that they have to go through and you do see it sort of over and over. I mean, even, even like the dead zone, I mean, he's, he's in his early twenties when he has the accent, but then when he comes back and it's sort of readjusting to his whole life and, and this new power and what do I do with it? And the burden of becoming something different. That, that the loss of innocence thing i mean we the the show i did with uh danny uh our regular guest with the sectarian review first one i did with him we talked about it and stranger things and just sort of that whole, whole idea of kids in horror mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the scooby-doo metaphor of you know, young right. people dealing with with monsters and and yeah, you know, it is that point that that scariness of growing from you know, childhood into adulthood, you know, all those fears of adulthood, the metaphor, you know, like everything in it is a metaphor for growing up and, and whatever. But there, there is there's that long tradition of child, you know, children characters having kind of special knowledge or mm-hmm. that access to the imagination that adults lose, that innocence that allows mm-hmm. them to see things that adults no I mean, longer if they see. literally do. They um, once they yeah, become adults, they literally do lose yeah. that power. They they forget. Yeah, exactly. And and that that's that's so much a part of not just Stephen King, but a, a lot of the genre. It just it, it becomes mm-hmm. a, an ongoing trope of this stuff. And it's one that, that Stephen King revisits time and time again. I'm just started reading. He has a brand new book out came out I don't know last week, two weeks ago called The Institute. And uh, it's about kids with psychic powers who get picked up and taken to some sort of facility where they're being tested. Gee, look, and then tower book about kids again, you know, and, and, and losing their innocence and then all Even that the non-kids, stuff. though. Shawshank, so, like, you know, the, the movie severely, yeah. talk about, you know, sanitizing, the movie severely downplays the rape. If it happens in the movie at all, mm-hmm. it's subtle. The book, Andy, is definitely 100% straight up raped by... Um, a bunch, a group of inmates called the sisters, you know, like, um, so like the loss of innocence is, it's a theme that he definitely wants to explore. And I think it's an important one. I mean, there's saying, I mean, I got to see, you know, Green mm-hmm. Mile, same thing. Shining. Absolutely. You know, Shining is about, it's yeah. about a man losing his mind, but it's also, a, it's about the descent into madness and therefore evil, I think, which is, which again is a loss of innocence. Mm-hmm. Well, and my five-year-old Danny. Right. Yeah. With the son coping with how, how do I cope with this? Yeah. yeah. 
And I believe in the movie, the most they got into that was, was Red having a line about how sometimes Andy could fight them off and sometimes he couldn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's they not. Don't really, I mean, that's sort of all they addressed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I reread The Shining a few years ago. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie. And I know that they are, if not radically different, mm-hmm. they're, they're really different products with different goals, I think. Well, you're talking um, about the Kubrick version? Yeah. 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 (laughs) I know, I know there are people, oh my God, it's such a masterpiece. But as a version of the book, it blows. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, but it does. Yeah, yeah, and, and I and I agree because I think you know as as a movie divorced from the expectations of the book, you know, it's a Kubrick yeah. film. I think there's a lot of successful pieces of it, but but it it is well, hated the not movie. the book. Uh, didn't Hannah? Yeah, didn't didn't Hannah mention last week that uh, we talked about doing a show on uh, great movies that movies everybody thinks yeah, are great that we yes. personally hate? Hannah and her, <laughs> Hannah and her boyfriend one, do not like the Chinese. Oh, I love the Shining. <laughs> I like yeah, the no, Oh, we. we, we <laughs> <laughs> we explained in detail to her and and him like wh- why they are wrong, but but they I mean, no, they they have they have valid reasons for not enjoying it. Well, they to are be incorrect, fair, but they have valid reasons for not enjoying it. To be fair, Kubrick didn't love the novel either. He said that uh, yeah. he had so much fun yeah, making yeah. it because Stephen King's mm-hmm. prose is so boring that he could just do whatever yeah. he wanted visually. <laughs> and he, I mean, I have to admit, Stephen King is no prose stylist. I mean, at best, you're supposed to forget yeah. that it's there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and at worst, it's just clunky. Yeah. And I, I, I think that that's not where his powers lie. Mm-hmm. He is he is not. Uh, right. I, don't, I can't think of a good metaphor for it, but. The clo- the closer you look at Stephen King, the worse he looks. Is sort of how I think. But like from afar, I mean, I love I love reading Stephen King. I read Stephen King in my free time a lot, but yeah. I'm not interested in looking at his sentences because they are ugly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did that yeah, I, I, of The Shining. I've never um, seen it. That Stephen King wrote the teleplay. Yeah. And I I have, and it's and it's one of those things where it's closer to the book. However, if we were to put that as a film versus Kubrick's Shining as a film, I, I think Kubrick's is better mm-hmm. because sometimes when I mean that's true. Sometimes when you're trying to stick too close to what's in the book, it doesn't work as well. And honestly, mm-hmm. the guy they cast as the lead was just not Nicholson. Well, wouldn't have been my choice, but you know, yeah. hey. I mean, the goofy brother from Wings, I mean, was playing. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so the, the, he did the, the sequel, Dr. Sleep, you have what, 30 years later or whatever. Um, right. And the, the movie's not out yet unless it is because <laughs> it's um, I think it's November uh, when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, it comes out next week. Um, sure. <laughs> but I, I, did anybody I've never read the book? It's on my. It's on my on my nightstand to read. So okay, I, well, I, I boy, I don't want to ruin anything. I don't want to spoil it. But I, I've, I've, I've read, read that. Review. You're fine. Okay, I I read. I wrote a review of it for the Post Gazette, where I do book reviews occasionally, and it just it really didn't work for me. Not a, it didn't work for me as a sequel because just unnecessary. Mm. Um, the the biggest problem I had with it was the the villains of the piece were laughable. There was never a point in the entire book 
where I felt that either Danny, adult Danny, or the young girl he discovers who also has the shining, shining. either one of them by themselves, yes, the shining, <laughs> um, that, that either one of them by themselves couldn't handily defeat the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Right. That's interesting. Okay. And I felt like I, I yeah, I, I just felt I spent 300 pages watching these the villains mm-hmm. bumble around and eventually get defeated like I knew they would. That's pretty yeah, rare just, for no Stephen King, I think. I think that's something he's really very good is. at. I mean, I don't know. I yeah. just think of uh, even something as early as Salem's Lot. Like, the vampires are scary. Like, I find them compelling. Yeah. yeah. Compellingly written. So that's interesting. I haven't read. I wonder, Dr. No, I've not read Doctor Sleep, but I wonder if it's it's one of those. One of the things that I've noticed about King, and this goes to probably not just his books, but also whenever he's involved in the making of one of his own film projects. Mm. Adaptations we talked about on the show before. Adaptations are hard, and King gets very lost in his own lore sometimes. Like I think he I does think, in writing too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, think that when you're when you're yeah. writing The Shining, or when you're writing an It, or Salem's Lot, when you're writing a book from scratch. Even though he's got his own world of, oh, all my books are connected and just pay attention. Like, yeah, those are Easter eggs, whatever. But like to actually do a sequel, he, he's probably wrapped up a little bit in like servicing his own fans mm-hmm. in, in a way that like right. I think because um, the same things happen in all in all of his films that like he has control over. <laughs> like when he, when he doesn't have any control, when you have when you have a shiny and you have a Kubrick come uh stanley cooper come by come by and say no i'm just gonna junk everything except for the base premise and i'm gonna do my own movie that's how you write a good that's how you write a good film that's how you direct a good film we've talked about this in relationship to comics before wayne where you know where people people want this thing that they grew up with being just kind of you know poured it directly over to the screen and that's not necessarily the right thing to do and it's not necessarily the right thing to do when writing a sequel either like you you know you sort of want to make everybody happy instead of just making your own story whereas like when like i don't think when stephen king wrote uh, sat down to write the shining he was not concerned with making anyone happy (laughs) that's not what that looks about (laughs) like there's no there's no point where he's like oh i've got to respect the lore there's just like Mm -hmm. writing the book what it, well, you know, at, at the time when he wrote it, the the character of Danny was influenced by his son, Joe. Um, uh, and for the people who don't know spoilers, Joe Hill is currently a successful horror author. Uh, he is Stephen King's son, Joe Hillman King. Um, I'm also a big fan of his stuff. I like his work a lot, um, which I, I do want to come back to him. But the character of Danny was just influenced just as a child character. Mm-hmm. You know, by by Stephen's experience raising his son, and then you know, Joe is now in his forties, and and so I think when he wrote the the sequel, he had watched his son grow up, but you know he's not Danny, mm-hmm. and some of that influence is gone. And you know part of part of Doctor Sleep is Danny, in spite of everything he he experienced, grew up to be an alcoholic just like his dad. Mm-hmm. And he's recovering from that. And Joe didn't grow up to be an alcoholic, just like his father. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I don't know how much of that was. Did he still see the character through the figure of his son, or had Joe developed so differently that he now no longer knew who Danny was because he wasn't Joe anymore? And you know, and I'm just spitballing here. I, I don't know how any of that worked. But I'm just those are pieces of it that I'm curious about. I, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm going against the death of the author by trying to figure out. I mean, how much, how much of it is King wanting to tell a story and how much of it is King wanting to cash a check. 
is yeah, yeah right yeah 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 i think that's a i mean it may seem like an obvious criticism but i read an interview with stephen king recently where he claims he claimed that he meticulously edits his work and i was like really mathematically it's impossible for that to be true <laughs> you cannot meticulously edit thousands of pages a year um Right. But I think that's just, uh, I think that was a moment where he, you can't admit that, mm-hmm. right? As like the one of the biggest selling authors of all right. time, like the 14 novels edit. that he wrote last month. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. But he doesn't yeah. edit. I don't think, I don't think it's, I think you can see it in the writing. Um, but again, I just don't think that's his game. I don't think that's what Stephen King's writing is is most often about. I mean, he's very gifted at what he does. Yeah. I, I don't exactly. Mean, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah. it's not writing tight mm-hmm. prose no. or tight passages or well, tight plots. We mentioned just, briefly his book. He's got a book called I think it's called Stephen King on writing. Is like his book on yes. book about writing. Well, and there's another one. It's, just, it's called Dense Macabre. Yeah. Okay. That was an earlier one. Yeah. Yeah. I just have, yeah, I, anyway, I have on writing. And one of my problems with that book is, yeah, um, he's got some good tips on it in it. And then he has other tips that are to the extent of, you know, when writing a, mo- a novel, just make sure you continue writing, make sure you get at least 10, 15 pages out a day. And like, he's literally saying stuff like that. And I'm like, Mm. Fuck you! Not everybody can do that. <laughs> like, like, also, like, that's not how you right. write right. certain kinds of good novels. I'm trying hard not to say that I think Stephen King's a yeah. shitty writer. No, he's not. He's, I don't exactly. But he, he, he is. Well, yeah. okay. Well, he is well, everything that you teach. On, 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 he is everything that you teach kids not to do when you teach a craft of creating writing oh, class. Right. He, right. he right. is very good at doing With some exceptions, perhaps. No, but, no, but, but overwhelming. Yeah, I think yeah. he is very good at being. So, like one of the things that. You, when you teach a kids writing at, at a college level, you we go in and we say writing's hard. You have to like you know edit yourself and rewrite and but like we have all these rules and you you cannot just expect to just go out and lay out a thousand pages of perfect of perfection and, perfect. Correct, and that's correct. what he does and and yeah. good for well, you that you he, have that he, gift. He, he, he doesn't know. Yeah. I mean, his on writing is kind of Stephen King's autobiography of how he yeah. writes. Mm-hmm. And and to be fair, you know, he does talk about in the early days that he had the nail in the wall and he, all his rejection letters on that nail. So you know, at that time, he was doing more of that. Yeah, That's now why his earlier books are because, better. <laughs> yeah, you know, cause he, right? Because he was spending the time developing them mm-hmm. and, and editing them and, and yeah. taking advice from editors or whatever. I think, frankly, so, that he, it's strategic. I think that I think Stephen King's a smart enough person and. Uh, I mean, hell, Stephen King's written and read 10 times what I've ever written or read, certainly. I think he knows that his game is to write as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. He said before he wants to be the McDonald's of fiction. And that's what he does. And I think he knows that he could be a better writer Mm -hmm. if he took the time, instead of writing a novel a year, you know, a thousand page novel a year, if he worked on that novel for three years, they would be better. But I mean, he's made it this far, right? right. He's the king of horror. And by the way, I really like McDonald's. So right, exactly. Yeah, crit- that too. Yeah, like, that too. You, I mean, that's a, I, it's just a difference. I am not to lead us to the point where I'm going to yeah. say I don't read. Right, right. I think I think he's kind of a genius. Like I'm not someone who say oh, that's what that's kind of my point. He's not so dumb that he doesn't realize what he's doing. Yeah, he's just manufacturing is more important than revision. Mm-hmm. And I don't think everybody can do that. I think that. I think that you get to a point where you can be Stephen King and then you get away with that. But like, you know, 
Bob, the freshman who buys that book, or, you know, because I want to do NaNoWriMo, you know, mm-hmm. that's not, it doesn't work the same way for, for a random guy on the internet that it does for Stephen King. Well, at the same time, however, I mean, we do, you do have to admit, I mean, I know we're saying we don't think he edits, but you can't edit a blank page. So yes. the sure. his policy of I have to sit down and I do five pages every day, whether, you know, whether I'm inspired or not. I mean, that that I don't stop until I have five pages. It's there is something to that. Now, maybe he does need a better editor. And I agree with mm. you. I like his earlier stuff much more than I like his later stuff. Um, Tommy knockers. I was like, what, what, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the first, if the first books I ever read were Dolores Claiborne and Rose Matter, I would never pick up another one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And see the first one I read was the shining. And then I went and read, you know, Carrie and Salem's lot and the stand dead zone, Christine and Firestarter, And all of those, it was like, Oh wow! I mean, yeah, yeah. I suspect you. period an editor the then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a period in the '90s that just like the, the Loris Clay. But I'm not a fan of Misery, uh, Gerald's Game. Right. Like, mm-hmm. there, I, there I don't think many just, people like those novels, and I don't know if it's if it's that he was in a. I mean, it seems like he kind of finds a, a resurgence in like the 2000s or something. Um, but yeah, yeah those yeah. are just. I don't know. They don't. I would rather read a, a bloated Stephen King novel with punch mm-hmm. than than those novels, which just seem so boring. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess let, let's let's move into you know, word just history of horror. Where does he fit? I mean, most successful That's horror a great question. Author, obviously, yeah. but in in terms of yeah, you know, where does he fit? What is his influence? Because certainly, you know, after he became successful every third paperback in any bookstore in America in the eighties was a horror novel. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And the other, yeah. Yeah. I mean, or romance, something else, or romance, something else, or romance, something else. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, he, he made the genre successful in a way that not that there, it hadn't been successful. I mean, obviously Rosemary's baby and the omen and, and you know, the exorcist and whatever the books, not just the, the movie versions, but you know, he, he kind of changed the game in, in publishing because of that success. I think. Yeah, in a way that like you know, not since something like I don't know Frankenstein, like he he definitely created the genre as the genre exists today. He is he is the template, and yeah. you know, and now granted, he's moved on and he's done other stuff, you know, um, like all of his gunslinger, yeah. you know, but like his but his actual vision of what horror is, I think, very much defines not just the book industry but also to an extent the movie industry. And, yeah, and I, I think. It's changed enough because certainly the movie industry in the 80s, the horror movie industry in the 80s is very much Friday the right. 13th, you know, the, the slasher <laughs> flick, the, the jump scare, blood gore thing. Yeah. And that's not really who he yeah. is. But I think there's also there's the prestige horror, horror films that I mean, even to give an example, we mentioned I mentioned briefly like Lawnmower Man, which is based on a Stephen King book. The movie is nothing, nothing, nothing like the book. Right. But it is aspiring to be a Stephen King story a lot more than it's inspiring to be a Jason story. I would argue it fails. Um, I don't think the movie is very good, but it is aspiring to be sort of thinky horror as opposed to jump scare horror. Mm. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. Carrie, yeah. Carrie before that, I think was that right. Yeah. It was, it really uh, carried the the film. Sorry, Brian DePaul's film, like 
massively mm-hmm. important, I mm-hmm. think, to yeah. how the horror movie would evolve that kind of horror movie as opposed to a slasher movie. Of course, the slasher, the slasher genre, as we know, it really starts with Halloween. And but the movie Halloween is hardly a slasher film by modern standards. Halloween yeah. is aspiring mm. to be a Stephen King style mm. horror movie. And, yeah. and I would agree. I would argue it fails it, it was, and it's better at being what it is. Like mm. I, you know, I've said several times, Halloween's probably my favorite, my favorite horror movie. I think it's brilliant. I don't think it nails the it doesn't nail the it dynamic, the carry dynamic. It doesn't it does something different. Um but it is trying to be more than just stabby, stabby, stabby yeah. for the sake of stabby, stabby, mm-hmm. stabby. All the mm-hmm. like ruminations from Dr. Loomis on like the nature of evil. <laughs> yeah, that's it's trying sort to be of a different. Yeah. 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 Or I think some, some of the things that's missing in, in that, that you know, difference between a movie and a novel is King is so good at making you care about these people and get the depth of their personality, mm-hmm. their inner life and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And we just don't get that with Laurie in, in Halloween because we just don't have the opportunity mm-hmm. to. Uh, maybe with Laurie, not the other characters though, certainly. <laughs> well, we can yeah, hear her thoughts. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we, we get more with her than the others, obviously, but but still, you know, we don't feel for her the way we do for We Carrie. can't hear her thoughts. We can't hear anybody's thoughts in the movie. Yeah. Well, it's, part that. of it's just the function of time. Though, if you have, if you have, yeah. you know, four hundred pages, or you know, more, yeah. if you've got your cast of thousands in the stand, yeah. that you have time to make them care. And in the movie, you've got, you know, maybe maybe one hundred and twenty pages of script, yeah. and yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's it. Which is why most movies based on books are not overly satisfactory if you know the book <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. and steven i would i would argue stephen oh. king novels translate particularly badly to film often mm-hmm. <laughs> with some exceptions yeah. but um yeah and i think that that's part of the reason for it is just the stuff that that he makes work so well so just that creating a real world creating you know, people you know any book of his i've read i feel like i know these people yeah you know, it's, it's very real world so the the horror when it comes in feels more real because of that and you just can't get that type of of detail in in a movie well i was gonna say i mean the movies that we're saying are so well done like shawshank or stand by me those are based on shorter works yeah yeah right, exactly <laughs> yeah you're right because because the body and the body and shawshank are probably two of the better mm-hmm. film adaptations of stephen shawshank we don't need to go into running pages. man though yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shawshank's maybe 100 pages body is 50 i don't know something like that well that's yeah it's fairly short that's yeah. one thing about stephen king that's fascinating to me and i'd love to hear more from everyone else what you think about this the kind of i think in a lot of ways stephen king makes us re- rethink about um sort of our perceptions of what mass media is successful why why it's successful why it reaches people because Stephen King, again, is not a concise writer. Stephen King, <laughs> Stephen King's best-selling novels are often his longest. Um, so they're not the mm-hmm. kind of thing you sit and read in an afternoon, maybe in a weekend if you do nothing else. Um, and that's always fascinated me. Uh, you know, Stephen King fans sit and read a lot. Um, they're not, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> that it's not the McDonald's of literature in that way, right? That it takes... Right. 
considerable time and dedication to get through the stand. It's like a thousand eleven hundred pages or something, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the same way with it, right? And mm-hmm. and and then there's the Dark Tower, which is like forty seven books that are all mostly terrible. Long. Also, if you ask me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, there were moments I really liked in that stuff, but that's the the primary argument for an editor uh-huh. for Stephen King. I've been on the fourth Dark Tower book for I've. I just tried for the third time to reread it and got like 300 pages this time and was like, I can't do this. And even in the middle of, of all of that, there are things that I sure. like, like there are concepts there. There's if someone had just really been there to the say these 300 pages could be 40 pages. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Originally the stand was shorter, but then it was re-released mm. and mm-hmm. he added back the things that he thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people wanted that right better. that's that was based on demand yeah. well i mean it's, yeah. it's the director's cut problem right like you mm. you know like you right. when, when you become right. enough of a fan of some of something very few this is me being a film snob here but as a film snob as a film critic you know is what what we do very few films are improved by by getting the DVD directors like that mm. that really became big like in the 90s with DVD when you know when like the original ones were like special extended a cut of American Pie and it's just more boobs right yeah. but then after that you started having people like oh the director's going back in and he's like re-edited and added stuff and made it longer and and <laughs> it works when it's apocalypse now mm. and it works when it is yeah. So, okay, the examples of director's cuts that actually improve the movies off the top of my head. Apocalypse Now, um, the Richard Donner cut of Superman, and I think I'm done. <laughs> like, 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 I mean, it's, oh, no, 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 three. Blade Runner. Blade Runner, but Blade Runner is special in that the director's cut is essentially the original cut. They, the studios added stuff in after free screening. So, so there are three, like, and Blade Runner, the director's cut is actually shorter than the other one. So, you know, so. Mm-hmm. And with, with, with any of these, you know, here, here are six CDs worth of Bob Dylan. CD like, yeah. Like, I, yeah. And, and I know, you know, yeah. I know people are big fans. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy with Peter Jackson, but, but like the, like the, 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 the three theatrical cuts are fine. The other ones, which I own, by yeah. the way, because I'm a nerd, but it's just masturbatory <laughs> bullshit. OK, like those movies do not need to be 14 hours long. They no. don't need to be three hours long. Like it's just, there's a lot of there's a like arguably, you know, and I, you know, controversial here. Here's my hot take. Arguably the second Lord of the Rings movie doesn't need to exist. It's two and a half fucking hours of being lost in the woods. Like it doesn't like, like if you're yeah, yeah, just like the book. Right. If you're trying, if you're trying to do good filmmaking, now it's a masterpiece at what it is. And if you're trying to do good filmmaking, like you sort of make choices Don't and you cut things out. Fight at home, Steve. Right. Now, but, here's where, but here's where it's weird though, right? You like, like King essentially released a director's cut of his own fucking book. Cause, yeah. and like, yeah. you know, why? Like, why is, why is this a thing? Like, like you're I think he got too story. big for his britches right. too early also because even Salem's Lot is pretty bloated, I would say. And now I, I again, this is kind of what I'm trying to get at. I think that's also weirdly what makes it good. It's too long 
because yeah. it is it indulges you mm-hmm. in that like I like these characters and even though this scene does mm-hmm. nothing really in the in the grand scheme of the plot it, it I like it. just sitting with these yeah. there's like so many scenes where it's the main character yes. At, yes. at dinner with his uh you know his girlfriend's parents and it's like Jesus but also why do I like this we've got well it and the stand are really long but then you also have like you're saying i mean things like needful things or the talisman some of those are really long and some of his mm-hmm. early stuff like carry or firestarter and the dead zone those are actually shorter i mean i was rereading mm-hmm, yeah. them last summer and they go pretty fast mm-hmm. yeah well and, and needful things that that's one of those it's been a long time since i read it but like i that was the quote unquote last castle rock story right right and and you know, we're never coming back to castle rock and of course we did and, the TV sh- and there's a tv show i don't remember mm. yeah mm-hmm. i don't remember anything about the plot whatsoever like mm-hmm. you know a lot of them are, are very you know, very clear to me but that's one of the ones i don't remember a thing about the and that's impressive right he wrote a thousand page novel that you read <laughs> and it has no plot like how do you do that yeah <laughs> hell yeah. i can do that i'm pretty sure i i'm i'm pretty sure i enjoyed some of those scenes with deputy andy clutterbuck who i've seen from the moment he joined the force in cujo to the moment he retired 30 years later he's one of those side characters in the stephen king universe there's never been a story about him but andy has appeared time and time again we've seen his entire career and i kind of <laughs> yeah, love that yeah that, that that livable world kind of thing. I yeah, I kind of love that. Anytime we're in Castle Rock, Andy gets yeah. mentioned, and it works. It works in some cases. Um, I think when Stephen King starts, there's there's a a moment in the Dark Tower series in which Stephen King becomes a character in the Dark Tower series, and it's mm-hmm. like you really did that. Like that is a that is a level of meta ness that no one needs. Yeah. And yet every author, yes, Grant every Morrison author wants it. to do that at some point. Grant Morrison, Morrison was actually good at it, yeah, I'd argue. Yeah, Morrison did. Morrison did it better in twenty four pages than Stephen King did. In <laughs> yeah, Morrison actually was good at at putting himself in a book. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, but like it, it is something everybody wants to do. Yeah, I actually didn't dislike that part of Dark Tower the way a lot of people. I, did, I haven't like read that part since I was in high school, so admittedly, I'm kind yeah, of talking out yeah, of my ass. But, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, like like a lot of the stuff, it, it went on too long. Now, I, the point you were making, John, about just sitting with the characters, I, I to me, that's part of that livable world thing again. It is. It's just that you get to know these people. You care about them. Then when horrible things happen, you are really invested because you had right. breakfast with them. Right, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and, I mean, nothing was happening. It was just bacon and eggs. He <laughs> wasn't going anywhere. You, there was no plot here, but but you spent some Maybe time that's, with them. I mean, I think that's a big thing about Stephen King. It is all about... American mythology. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I read a, yes. an interesting article about Pet Cemetery that was like it is a Norman Rockwell painting turned into a nightmare, mm-hmm. and I thought that was very apt. Mm-hmm. Yes, I also think Pet Cemetery, the novel, is Stephen King's best work. Uh, I, I, never I know, Matt just said that. I, I, I started <laughs> like reading it, and I'm like, this is garbage, and I stopped. It is the most. <laughs> it is the most concise. It is the scariest thing he's ever written. It is the saddest, most existential thing he's ever written. I think it's his best, personally, or at least it, it arguably could be. It, it, just it's didn't care. My, <laughs> it, it's been it's been on my list to to reread for a while. And it's again. 
But, but then there's a new. I think it's very scary. Book I need yeah, to read. I wouldn't read it tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. I agree. Just to just to go back for a second, because I'm thinking about your earlier question, sort of about his effect on on horror, and I I googled because. You know, I I wondered because I know Dean Koontz is one of the other people who's sort of a big name in it. And I was kind of wondering, I'm like, was he after Stephen King? And I looked it up and he was writing. He started writing at basically the same time, but he mm-hmm. really didn't break through until 1980. Wow. Which okay. was about five years after Stephen King was had started because we had Carrie and then Salem's Lot and The Shining and and he was really sort of taking off and I'm I'm wondering if maybe that's part of like you said the taste was sort of yeah. starting to say what what his breakthrough book was and looked at his novels. I don't read a lot of Dean Koontz, so I don't I don't know. Yeah, does does it say what kind of the breakthrough was? I'm thinking the Watchers. Uh, the breakthrough one was Whispers, published in okay. 1980. Yeah. Okay, and, and I think I, I've read a lot of Koontz as well, and I I think I don't know that he's ever been as. And we've already said that Stephen King isn't just horror, but I don't know that Koontz has ever been as devoted to that genre. I mm-hmm. remember reading an author's note from him at one point where like horror wasn't what he was really wanting to do, but he wrote one book and it was successful and he got pigeonholed there and then felt like he had to do it for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. And then he got successful enough. He was doing other things as well because he did what that that odd. Uh, what's what's the character's name? I won't say Odd, Odd Thomas. Young, but I don't think that's right. Something Odd Thomas. Odd Thomas, yeah. Uh, that series. He did a series of Frankenstein, mm. you know, the the creature set in the the modern world. Um, and he's done some books that just you know, were more suspense than than yeah, horror. I read, so. I read mm-hmm. one of the Odd Thomas books and kind of liked it, and read another Dean Koontz book in, in high school and like thought it was awful but i was a you know yeah i was not to be trusted i don't really know i haven't read yeah whispers and and i think it was watchers watchers was 97 okay it was later then all right Mm -hmm. i read these horribly out of order because i came to him much later um like i like those i like the ones of his that were horror but i he he never convinced me the way Stephen King does. How many novels does Koontz have? Never Stephen convinced King? me the reality of his work. Because King has like 80 oh, novels. Wow. Um, the, yeah, I'm just scrolling down the list and it's a lot. There's a bunch of different series, even like the, you know, the odd, the odd Thomas series. I mean, that didn't start until 2003. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, lots and lots of different series and then standalones. I mean, he wrote... He wrote, I want to say, what is this, like 20 or 30 before 1980 when he hit it big with Whispers. He had started publishing novels in 1968. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking down and it's, you know, 68, 69, 70, 71, 71, 72, 72. He has a ton before. Now, they weren't all under his name. They were some of them were released under other names, it says. Right, but But King did that too. Yep. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just one of those interesting questions, like you were saying, the effect that Stephen King had on on making making this a more 
interesting or accessible or marketable genre. I mean, we've had horror. I mean, you know, Poe really established that, you know, way back when, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it was, I mean, like you said, you'd go into the bookstore and it would be, Hey, if you like Stephen King, try these. Mm-hmm. And, and other names that come up I back late 90s early 2000s when I was writing my first book King of Summer which is you know, urban fantasy horror I was doing a lot more research into what's big you know who are the horror authors right now who should I read uh, out other than Stephen King because really other than Stephen King I didn't read much in the way of horror novels mm-hmm. one of the names that came up was John Saul and I read one of his and it did nothing for me. And he was you know, remarkably successful. Um, there was someone by the name of Richard Lehman. I read a lot of his stuff. Richard Lehman in high school. I haven't heard that I name liked, in so long. Yeah. I, I liked his stuff. There were like two of his that I thought were kind of brilliant. And then a lot of them were just really way over the top, kind of gross out, disturbing shock value kind of things. He had one called The Island that just... I read that like, in high school, The last paragraph yeah. of The Island was... It was like... Yeah, the last paragraph of that was absolutely chilling. But <laughs> no one knows who that is now, so... <laughs> I remember the the Island, the movie, and I... That's sort of... Oh, no, because... No, it, 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 yeah, it's not, because when I saw, like you, when I, I heard of the movie and saw the trailer, I thought, oh, is this... And it's not. Uh, there was another one called The Traveling Vampire Show. And it was you know, 1950s coming of age. It's probably his most Stephen <laughs> King-like book. Um, the, a, it's a small town. A poster goes up. Circus is coming in town, including the traveling vampire show. Come see a, a, a real-life vampire. And it's a story of these three kids trying to sneak in to see the vampire. And the book is about these three kids and all the stuff they go through. And somewhere two or 300 pages into it, there's a vampire. But it really doesn't matter. Uh, so, uh, and and that's, that's probably my favorite book of his because it's it's all about the kids and the coming of age and all that stuff with you trying to go see the scary thing. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, since you asked, Mav, uh, it says Kuntz has published over 105 novels. Yeah, he, I was, yeah I, I was counting while you guys were talking. Uh, Kuntz looks like it's 105 and <laughs> and King looking looks like, depending on how you count, is either 83 or 61. So. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back to Joe Hill briefly. Um, I mean, he, if, if you've read his stuff, he's very definitely his, his father's son. There are certain writing styles and ways of doing things that I very definitely see, you know, his dad's influence on him. Uh, I like his stuff quite a bit. First thing I read of his was 20th Century Ghost, which is a short story collection. And I tend to lean more toward novels than short stories, but I thought this one was exceptional. Um, Heart-shaped box I like. Horns, which they made the movie out of. Oh, it's the Yeah, and it was my least favorite of his books. For some reason, it just didn't work for me. Um, I can tell, you know, like he writes in in many of the same ways as his dad, but you can tell they're of different generations because you, you read enough King and you know, you know, growing up in the fifties and his love of drive-in movies and and B horror films and you know the music and so much of that sort of thing. And it's obvious Joe Hill grew up, grew up in the eighties watching MTV and reading comic books. <laughs> and and you know, Stephen read EC comics. Joe Hill was reading the stuff coming out in the eighties and you can, you can just kind of see his imagination draws more from those sources, which makes sense, obviously, but something he did in the book Nosferatu, which there was the recent, I think it was AMC TV series, which I didn't like the, the TV series very much at all. It, it just, it, 
not that it wasn't a straight adaptation. They had to do things for for TV that was different than the book. And for me, it just didn't work. But in that, Joe Hill references Pennywise, uh, the oh, clown yeah. from It, and something else. So in that book, he kind of overtly made his literary world the same one as his father's. Mm-hmm. And I find that interesting. And I wonder, is that unprecedented where you have two different writers? Yes, blood related working in the same world. And I'm not talking about like shared universes like the Thieves World anthology or, or you know, that sort of thing. And certainly a million people have written in every comic book. Yeah. That yeah. is Stephen King's. Yeah, well, yeah, but but in in terms of a specific author, someone else writing at the same time, not after it's in public domain or whatever, um, you working in this same conceptual universe, and you know, it's probably happened before, but I just I find that interesting. And, and I'm, I'm trying, I'm blanking now. One of the more recent Stephen King books, I know he mentioned something like I recognize it as being from one of Joe Hill's books. Mm-hmm. I, I just I find that that interesting and just it felt unusual to me. I don't know that I can think of I can think of any. I mean, like yeah. you said, there's there's you know people write books set in the Lovecraft period or you know universe or um, uh, I can think of now I can't remember what book it was. There was something I read. It was a it was an like an urban fantasy kind of thing. And there was an oblique reference to that guy in Chicago, mm-hmm. which in context, it was clear it was referring to Harry from the Dresden files. What was it okay. written by a relative? I cannot, I, I can't remember what it is. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, and, 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 and I, that sort my- of thing probably happened. <laughs> yeah. I, that sort of thing probably happens a lot where authors are just, you, there's mm-hmm. a nod to right. other things they like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, and, well, I'm thinking, but I mean, you're thinking more along the lines of, you know, to shift to comic books, what, um, what the, what yeah. happens in Love and Rockets, right? Like that, like Palomar and, um, and the, you know, Los um, Locos, or what is it, Los Chicos? Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, they are, Locos, they yeah. are in the same world. You would never know. I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Like the the fact yeah. that there's a crossover right. between the two brothers' worlds is so irrelevant to the story, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's there's a party in Palomar once when you see Maggie mm-hmm. and Hopi in the crowd. So, but I mean, so you know, but isn't that yeah. just as much of a crossover as what you know as a passing reference to Pennywise? I mean, it, yeah. Well, I, I guess I, I'm making the difference, I guess, between comics right. and and novels, just because in comics mm-hmm. we just expect. It. But I mean, I'm, and I'm wondering, I'm just thinking, like it happens in a few films as well. There's a there's a movie called Out of Sight where um, Michael Keaton plays the same character that he plays in Jackie Brown, Quentin Tarantino's movie. Uh, he's a cop, but okay. made by two different people. One's made by Tarantino. I can't remember who directs Out of Sight. Um, but he's the same character, the actor. You know, um, They talk to each other, and it's, he's a cop. He's not a major character in either film, but like he's he's explicitly the same guy. And you can sort of and there's a couple of you know passing references to where you can tell. So that happens. But I, but I can't think of good novel examples. I mean, I can think of 
certainly there are a lot of novelists who mention in you know king's not the and king does this all the time but he's not the only person who mentions in passing yeah. his other work neil gaiman does it consistently um there are yeah. everything everything yeah. that he's written since sandman has sandman references in it somewhere like it, it it's it's a thing it's a right. thing that he does right. um and you yeah. know king references his other books like um like i think i think the body mentions shawshank prison shawshank penitentiary he does but, but yeah and that's it he has created that world like Derry and, and castle rock are like an hour right. from each other on the highway right you know so there there are things like that let's say that andy clutterbuck who i mentioned mm-hmm. earlier appears in mm-hmm. you know a dozen novels or more right as so, a side so character. Uh, but, yeah but just but just but then the one character nosferatu was just driving like they they found a map of scary places and Derry was on it and the word mm-hmm. pennywise was written and so yeah. And he's, I mean, he's clearly paying homage to his dad even more so than he's doing anything. He's like, ha ha ha, people will notice this because it's yeah. my dad. Right, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's it. I mean, it's an Easter egg mm-hmm. and inside joke, obviously, but mm-hmm. but that, there was sort of that feeling of, oh, you're just, you're you're kind of officially establishing that you're working right. in that world, too. Well, I, and, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, before we close off, I want to wonder, and we've talked a little bit about this before. Um, we've done shows on continuity or the lack thereof, but like, how much do we care about the shared continuity that exists within the Stephen King universe? Um, if you ask him, everything from Gunslinger to Pennywise happens in the same world, whatever. Like, I don't know that that's true, but like, um, but how much does it matter? Well, there, 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 there are there are multiple worlds. I mean, the stand everybody's yeah. wiped out by a disease. But he says, yeah, in the dark tower, they yeah. step into that world. And he says that they're all connected in, mm-hmm. in his own little multiverse. But it, I don't, I, you know, on the back yeah. of the magic space turtle. But I don't know. <laughs> yes, that's that's actually a thing. Um, but I don't, I don't know, I don't know how much it matters. Yeah. But like, who is that for? Is that just him? Again, is it just you know? masturbatory bullshit for his fans or is it or is there a usefulness to that well that's one way to put it perhaps well i mean yeah well i i think you know anybody you know that world building he's been doing this so long he sees the connections you know it's the same it's for the same people who want to figure out all the corners of the marvel universe Mm -hmm. and how that and i I think that's a exercise (laughs) in pointlessness as well even though I've done it, but like I was 12 and now, and now I'm like, Oh, this is good. Also Stephen King has retrofitted a lot of things into that universe. So it doesn't really, at the level of plot makes no difference most of the time. And frankly, doesn't even make sense. But I, I get, I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think, I think Stephen King, uh, like there's a, there's a certain like disregard for that sort of thing. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's like, we all know what we're here for, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think, I think that sort of thing, just as, as a creative person myself, I can tell you now three of my books are set in the same world. You can read them individually. There's not this broader, you know, whatever, but you know, there, there's a guest appearance by one of the characters in this other one. You know, there, there are references. And as a creator, that world building thing, rather than creating a new world every time you have these, it gives you a something mm-hmm. to build on mm-hmm. you know, that that whole idea of a livable world. You know, did we need all those spinoffs from all in the family? No, but it was kind of neat knowing that uh, the good times took place. In the we family, needed all the all, okay, all the family um, spinoffs. That's that's the one where I'll say like like they were all good, and, and I'm including Gloria. Gloria was under it was highly underrated. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I, but I'm, I'm saying, you know, I think that idea of, of world building can, can enhance all of your work. It, it can make for a deeper reading experience with all that stuff. It can also get in the way if it gets too complex or, or you are just shoehorning things in. Um, John, I don't know where you are with the dark tower stuff, but there's a character from Salem's lot who right. appears Oh, in high school. I read, I read every Stephen King book that had come out at that point, okay. but yeah. <laughs> it's the rereading. Yeah. Having and, and, and I experience more of the world forget, that gets a little difficult for me. Yeah. And when I read that, like they told me who it was and it had been so long since I'd read Salem's lot that it just, okay. He was in Salem's that's lot. That's what I mean. Like at the so. level of plot, I don't <laughs> yeah. think it really matters for, for a lot of right. Stephen King's um, in world kind of references. Um, yeah. But I, again, I don't, I don't, that that's not the point. Stephen King's novels rarely make sense and that's okay. Yeah. As I as I guess <laughs> what I'm trying to say, like there is a, yeah, it's almost like there yeah. is a pact with the reader at the beginning. Like, listen, this is not going to make a lot of sense. And that's who cares. Reader. Like we're going to hang out for a thousand pages. Yeah. Somehow he manages to make, yeah. well, you and, know, and, and, charming enough narrators that I don't care. Yep. Well, and that's you know, in his author's notes, he refers to right. a constant reader, and he's been doing that for years because he he knows it's the same people who've been reading this. It's it's the people who have made him rich. It's the people who make him successful, and I'm one of them. <laughs> you know, like for whatever complaints I've had, whatever I'm two hundred pages yeah. into the new one. Yeah, it's so, yeah, I don't, it's uh, it's unlike any other reading experience I've had, and I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> I sort of do this for a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it, you know, with with him, there there is, and Koontz and some of these others, these really successful authors. It's easy to say I've read eighty books by this person. Right. <laughs> yeah, and you you can't do you can't you can't do. I feel that accomplished having read authors. like six Faulkner um, novels or something. Yeah, like. That's <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> I've, read, I've read three, and that's three too many. Well, that's two too many. I liked I I, I, I liked one of them a lot. <laughs> I don't, which one? As a light nine. It's the best one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be mm-hmm. to be literary nerds, uh, you know, Absalom, Absalom. I, you know, thirty pages in, I was just like, I am so tired of this bullshit. I'm just You're sweating. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, like, why? That is a different reading experience. Everything <laughs> Stephen King's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, which is, and, and again, like, yeah. John made the, you know, right. That's well, literary here's what I'm wondering. Like, and this is why I asked the question about his shared world, right? Faulkner's doing the same so, thing. Yeah, the Faulkner, Yacht County. Yeah, oh. Faulkner's novels. Oh yeah. There are, how yeah. many books are there? Eight in the in Yakna Batafa. No, there's more than eight. There's I don't know how many, but okay. probably well, on but, the order of yeah. twenty. Well, okay, he's got twenty books in that county. Okay, I don't know. I'm again but, pulling them yeah, around, but, but it's more than eight. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he's got a bunch of books that have this shared universe and like mm. as but, a as a professional I, I, I literary and cultural critic. Fuck you! I do not care. And as a comic book fan, I like. I mean, like, and I understand. Like, there is something to be said for the shared universe, and I actually agree with Wayne. You know, I, I wrote a comic book. I wrote a comic book for ten years with spinoffs, and had the Cosmic Hellcats mythology. There was lots of weird interconnected stuff that made sense to me. And as the creator, that's important. As the you know inside the world of the book. I do not need to connect as I lay dying to Absalom Absalom. Yes, I, I realize think they a, do. 
I don't care. I don't I think I'm it's sure entirely it's different. Connect. I have to admit. Yeah. I think for Stephen King, it's a fun thing for the reader. It doesn't really matter. I think in Faulkner's novels, it is it is constitutive to what they are about. Do you? Because I really do. I mean, they're about a place, they're about a geography, and about a culture. Sometimes Stephen King's right. Well, that's maybe doing a little bit of that, but not not with Gunslinger, right? Not with not not with the Dark Tower, all that. But I mean, but couldn't you argue that like a lot of those books are about Gary? Not about not about the kids. I mean, they are. I'd say they're about the kids. But couldn't you make the argument that you know? That what he is doing is he's telling he's telling the magical history of Maine. I guess I'm thinking. Of, yeah, I'm thinking of some specific cases, perhaps. And I'm not being generous enough to Stephen King. None of us ever are. Um, well, see, because I would argue I would argue that if Stephen King had written less stuff, because it, one of the I mean, it's easy to make fun of him because he is the McDonald's of fiction, right? Like, I mean, he said that about he himself. That, I was yeah. not saying about yeah. him. No, no, but I, mean, I but, would say that. But, that, but, that's, but, but that makes him easy to make fun of, right? Mm. If he weren't or once he dies and we wait 50 years, I think we I think he has a reasonably strong argument to being a canonized part of literature. I, oh, of course. Yeah, I would. I would not argue. Yeah, against yeah. That. but it's easy. Yeah. But I mean, like right yeah. now, it's sort of easy to pretend he's not because, yeah, the guy made, you know, a bunch of bullshit movies that like we also come in. from a particular point of view in terms of like literary studies, right, wherein we think what is popular is important. Well, we think that it's telling you can learn a lot we, about mean, it. By we, you mean the people on this show, the people on this show, not necessarily, yes. the, not necessarily the literary studies field as a whole. Yes. No. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That's what, that's what I mean. We're, we're coming mm-hmm. from a particular place. You know, we're coming we're coming back to high culture right local, yeah. local, but i think but i think that if he well. didn't try so hard to be rich and famous i think he would and and which i which i think he does and by the way that's not a complaint i wish i were as rich and famous as stephen king <laughs> i but, would do what he does if i could yeah, yeah, yeah right. absolutely in but a heartbeat. if he weren't trying yeah. so hard to yeah. do that i think that on the backs of a shawshank and it um a carry uh, shining uh, misery. I know you were their complaints earlier, but but given what it is, on the backs of his big name novels, I think that he has a reasonable argument for being a 20th and 21st century entry into the same canon that includes a Hemingway and a Faulkner and a bunch of other dead white guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, and that's what I was trying to get at, I think, at the beginning was that I think he perhaps at some point recognized that and said, well, I would like to be rich now. I've already, <laughs> yeah, you can't take it with you. And also, I don't know, maybe he got to like novel 10 and was like, well, this is who I am now. <laughs> now I put out a novel every year and um, I don't revise and I'm making that assumption about him. I, I think he does just truly love to write. Or that too. Yeah. yeah maybe it's that's what, what is it's, joyful it's, it's to him. Man. Yeah. And he hasn't had to pay any, you know, he hasn't had to worry about bills for 40 years <laughs> now. So is he doing it? Now? Is he doing it now to be rich and famous? No, he, he is rich and famous. That's not why he does it anymore. Um, I, I read someplace years ago that he, you know, with his publisher, he has a licensing deal for movies of a dollar. Yeah. Uh huh. Maybe um, he does that. With, he likes to let people, especially like the, some of the short stories, sort of like film students that he will yeah. that he will license to them, at, you know, for a dollar the rights to to make something mm-hmm. as as trying to be sort of collaborative. Mm-hmm. 
And, and in some ways, that is that's a giving back kind of uh, thing supporting the artistic community that I think is important and probably yeah. You know, I have complicated feelings on copyright anyway, and I think that I think that we really need, need to rethink the entire system. But in that we haven't yet, I think that that is a I think that when you have the notoriety that he does, offering a film student an opportunity to let's see what you can do with the Green Mile for a dollar, yeah, you know that that is a that is a yeah. That that is that is an altruistic way of supporting the arts and giving back for somebody who you know frankly has made it. Yeah, he's he's yeah. often been very vocal about um, about promoting younger writers as mm-hmm. well. It's something that I think maybe goes less noticed, of course, than his big name novels and stuff. But he he really does. I mean, and that's one thing that like just leads me to believe he has to recognize that he could be a better and more. He could be a better writer uh, is that he reads good stuff like he he recognize. Mm-hmm. I mean, he recognizes good prose. Why doesn't he ever write any of it? <laughs> I, I'm totally assuming what good prose is. And I recognize that that's like a problem, but just the sentences on the sentence level, I can't get past it. He's often just a bad writer. I'm sorry. <laughs> Clearly I've had like two beers during the course of the show that at this point, I'm just like, no, he is a bad writer. Uh, here's another thing about Stephen King. <laughs> I, I I thought this whole career was going to be about his acting career. This whole show is going to be about his acting career because I'm 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 a big fan of the movie Stuck in Love, in which of which he is one of the stars. Yeah. <laughs> one, one one more beer, we're going to get an axe through the screen with Johnny. <laughs> that might or might not have been the, the, the been the bumper on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I did want to say, make sure you you know go out and see the movie Stuck in Love. <laughs> Have you seen it? No. Oh, it's a, it, I mean, it's a it's a 2012 romantic dramedy. You know, back I, there was a point where where rom coms sort of died out, except for in the like weird indie film market, and they became sort of rom drums, like romantic drama comedy things. And he has a bit part in one playing author Stephen King, who is <laughs> he plays himself um, as a semi, you know, as a supporting role in the film about writers trying to fall in love. It's a good movie. Huh. <laughs> um, it's just one of those things that like those well, movies that only I watch. I think you're going to talk about his band. So, yeah, well, he is a renaissance man, as it, as it were. <laughs> Isn't he in a band with uh, like, other I've famous people or something? Told me the band is very good. Yeah. What's it called? Yeah. Rock Bottom Remainders. Ah. It started out with, I think, other authors. Yeah. Matt but, uh, sort of in the band, or did I make that up? Yeah, yeah. He was, I think, at one point. Fascinating. That is, that is sincerely fascinating. The current lineup is... <laughs> the band members have included Dave Barry, Stephen King, Amy Tan, Cynthia Heimel, Sam Barry, Ridley Pearson, Scott Turo, Joel Selvin, James McBride, Mitch Album, Roy Blunt Jr., Barbara King Solver, um, Robert Fulgram, Matt Groening, Tad, Tad Bartimus, Greg Isles, Aaron Ralston, and honorary member Maya Angelou. <laughs> nice. My mind is boggled mm-hmm. by a number of those names. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's huh. from Wikipedia. So, 
Maybe they'll be linked in the show notes too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I recognize most of the names and have read several of them. My Angelou could rock. I mean, just, just <laughs> I do appreciate Stephen King's love of the Ramones. Like that's something that is, has always warmed my heart. <laughs> So I think we're to the point where we're resolving nothing. <laughs> yeah, I thought we figured way. out Stephen um, King was a bad writer. I thought that was something we all agreed on, right? That's why we had the show. And yeah, we also figured out will be one of the people remembered from the 20th century. I wonder if there's a show in the point of, you know, there's, um, yeah, shout out to somebody who I know listens to the show, um, our friend Mikey, Wayne. Um, you know, I often yeah. tease Mikey about uh, every time my, Mikey has a very different taste in film than I do. And I often respond to him by saying something like, it's okay, you're allowed to like bad movies. Um, <laughs> and I think that, I, I think that, um, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I do say, you know, I like a lot of bad movies too. I just acknowledge that they're bad. You think your bad movies are good. <laughs> and, and i i don't know that i think that stephen king's a bad writer i don't no, know I'm, that i think I'm, he's a good writer i like, i think he's it. i think he's interesting in that he is doing something he's doing something unique and special in a way that i don't think even Kuntz is to mention somebody else i think stephen king the reason yeah. i would put him on a canon on a 21st century canon if we were going to do that maybe we'll maybe we'll do another syllabus show once i re, you know once i recover from editing the last syllabus show that we did um but i think he belongs on the 21st century canon because dead whiteness and maleness aside the way that a lot of people got into the literary canon that we recognize is because they were doing something special and good in the world of what which they were doing which is to say that if i take faulkner and again if i'm teaching um well three of us have taught writing at a college level and so i'm curious what both of you will say but i believe that if i were teaching freshman creative writing at a college level and someone came in trying to write like faulkner i would probably fail them because there are too many rules broken and i believe i would do that with i mean i wouldn't fail them but i'd be like no you have to you know things need to make sense you have to have a beginning like very basic stuff you need to have a beginning middle and an end you need to have, you know and there are rules that are broken by faulkner listen here mr joyce, joyce absolutely <laughs> joyce could listen, not pass don't you bring that back yeah joyce could not pass freshman comp period um, much less a freshman writing class a creative writing class so but i think that in the case of joyce in the case of faulkner in the case of stephen king I think there is an intent to the breaking of the rules to where we see them as, oh, you're doing something innovative here in a way that I think that mm-hmm. I, I think that I think that King passes this magic illusory test test that I'm that I cannot quite quantify right now because I'm a couple of years deep, too. Um, but um, but I think that that E.L. James doesn't pass that test. Um I I don't I don't think J.K. Rowling passes that test. I think J.K. Rowling is a phenomenal writer for other reasons. I think she's a very good world builder, but I don't think she is a good writer from a craft point of view to where if I'm putting her in a canon, it's a canon of popular culture, not a canon of novelists. And I think I think Stephen King squeaks by in my canon of novelists. Yeah, I I would agree. I think I yeah I, I, no I'm I'm totally being you know I'm exaggerating when I say he's not a good writer. I think he writes in a way that 
um, doesn't fit with our with uh, our current ideas of what good writing is and in the academy that's mm-hmm. that's a very specific and in, in certain parts of the academy i don't i don't mean to speak for any of those things monolithically there uh, yeah uh, that's all i'll say yeah i i think he's he's an effective mm-hmm. writer Hmm. Speaking of someone who teaches both composition and freshman creative writing, um, I don't know that I would necessarily fail someone who was writing like him or like Faulkner. I think, like you said, that there's intent. Creative writing. That you have to be able to say to... And I think that's why, you know, we say you have to know the rules before you can break them because it has to be a a conscious thing, which is why, I mean, it would depend on the student, but, but I mean, yes. And for creative writing, if they're writing like fall comp class, they're toast. (laughs) Too many adjectives. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. It's like, there's a, there's an intent to it that it's hard to define to where I, I feel like you are not writing badly you are doing something special. You are, you are maybe not the best writer, but you are the very best Stephen King that we have, (laughs) you know? And, and I think that, but I think that being a Stephen King is, is a kind of writing that um, there's a reason why he's got 60 some odd novels, you know, many of which are good. I got and none. Are, so yeah, yeah I got well, say. Well, but, but there <laughs> are also, my opinion <laughs> there are also a lot of, a lot of, you know, throughout the eighties, there were so many clone books of his yeah. that were mm-hmm. not, yeah. they yeah. were garbage. They, they, they weren't what they were just trying to do what he does and they weren't doing that, you know? And I, I, I think that says something. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Mm-hmm. It's not at the level of the sentence, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. So we're gonna have to do it. We're gonna have to do a syllabus show one of these days on on you know. There's a class that gets taught at Carnegie Mellon University where um, where I did my my undergrad and my masters. Um, that they teach different people, person teaches it every semester, but it's called books you should have read by now. So we might have to do oh. that. And, and, oh. and everybody's idea of it is very different. So uh, so we might have to do that as a syllabus show one of these days, but. I think that I think we've resolved nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> much like yes. <laughs> but I'd like to I, I, I'd like to thank John. John, you thank you for coming back for coming back again. Yeah. Thank um, you for having me. Anything you, you, you won't want me back now after <laughs> this time. Just talking smack on air on your subject. That's what the show is. We do it all the time. <laughs> Anything you want to plug? Um, nah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I think I said this last time. I'm just a poor graduate student. So, like, if you want to send me canned food or something, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and Nicole, thank you for returning as well. Thank you for having me back, Matt. Yes. Thank you. Anything you want to plug? You're not going to plug anything? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Remember, it's November 1st is deadline for abstracts for PCA. This Which, is also my opportunity to remind both of you. Yes. We're in Philadelphia. Tomorrow, it's, it's, tomorrow. Well, it's four days from now. Because today, if this dropped, this dropped today that we recorded it on the 28th. Um, so, it's, you know, it's a couple of days away. And I've totally turned mine in by now because I was working on it two weeks yeah, ago. Me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, no, well, PCA, mm-hmm. we should tell people, um, PCA, CA, well, I mean, you're more involved well, and then, than, than we are, but yeah, what is PCA, ACA? It's the 
National Cooperative Culture Association, and there are over 120 different areas that uh, scholars, and that can be a formal scholar like academia or just somebody who, who has done a lot of work in the field or done a lot of reading, uh, get together and talk about, present papers on various things, everything from comics, which is the area I run, which is why it's the best. Um, <laughs> it totally is the best. She was saying like, like dime novels or, you know, uh, American, you know, cemeteries and design or, or there's also creative writing sections, mm-hmm. um, uh, film adaptation, television, all sorts of and things. And there's a horror section so, and there actually is yeah. literally a Stephen King section. There's a section that is just about Stephen King. There is. I hope none of them are listening. Yeah. They will not become. <laughs> <laughs> but you can go to PCAACA.org if you want to submit a proposal. And the conference is in the spring. It was in April in Philadelphia. Yeah, it's a fun time. We, you know, this show this show owes yeah, a lot to it? PCA in its existence. Wayne, yeah. what about you? Uh, well, I I guess if you want to read uh, Stephen King-inspired horror urban fantasy, you can look up my name on Amazon and buy at least three of my novels. And the fourth one's not bad either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it doesn't fit that, that description. Uh, so, so there's that. I promoted King of Summer totally, totally just, you know, if, you know, King of Summer is literally, it's the, it's the book that you'd recommend where you tell people, if you enjoyed Stand By Me, It and Stranger Things, then you might also like King of Summer by Wayne Wise. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely it is entirely absolutely. that book. <laughs> um, that is, that is the recommendations <laughs> engine should literally say that if you enjoyed, you know, <laughs> Uh, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick or on my blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show at Vox Popcast on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Actually, we have all of those or on the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com. If you enjoy the show and we hope you do, please leave us a five star review on iTunes or on Apple Podcast is what they call it. I'm going to keep calling it iTunes. Apple Podcast just does not roll off the tongue when you're trying to do a show closing. So it's weird. But anyway, if you give us a five star review and write a little something, something in the review on Apple Podcast or other services that helps the algorithms, you know, sort of privilege us and helps other people find the show. And, you know makes us happy because it makes us more famous. And then maybe one day that we can write, you know, 41 novels a year that aren't edited and (laughs) be rich and famous because that's what I want out of my life. Um, But if you enjoy the show, please, uh, please subscribe to us on Apple podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and follow our blog and comment on the post that tell you what's going to be happening on the next show. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thought Form Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time. Happy Halloween. Bye. 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 <gasps> Boy, you read my thoughts. You've got the shinin. You mean shining. Shh. You want to get sued? Now look, boy, if your dad goes gaga, you just use that shin of yours to call me and I'll come a-running. But don't be reading my mind between four and five. That's Willie's time!